Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup with Dave Prodan. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode nine. Before we get going today, a quick comment about the fires in Australia. Now, this is unlikely to be anything you haven't already been exposed to, but the situation in Australia is really serious, and I think it would be tone deaf and just wrong if we didn't bring it up. As of recording, the fires in Australia have tragically taken the lives of 24 people. They've destroyed over 2,000 homes. They've burned over 12 million acres of land, and they've killed an estimated half a billion animals. Images of the devastation are everywhere, and if you can support emergency responders right now, please do. When these fires eventually run their course, the families, wildlife, and habitats that have been impacted are going to need real help in rebuilding. WorldSurfLeague.com and the WSL social channels have posted links to places where you can donate and support. If you can and you decide to, please educate yourselves as best you can on where your money is going. As sickening as it is, there's still a lot of deception out there. And while it's probably a topic for another day, educate yourselves more broadly on how this happened. Be sure to scrutinize the sources of where you're getting your news. It's hard, but we all need to try to avoid situations where we're just accessing information and instead we're earning it and understanding it and using it to make things better. So that's that. Our hearts and what we can contribute donation-wise are with our families and friends in Australia, and we're all in that together. All right, episode nine. It's the start of the 2020 season. The QS has commenced with the Corona Open China, hosted by Wanning. Casting for ABC's Ultimate Surfer has begun. The Championship Tour is a scant 76 days away from starting, and a world of opportunity sits before a hungry global surfing population. If recent years have proven anything in the surfing world, it's that we're in a brave and bold new era of possibility. We've got new winners, new champions, new approaches, new power centers, new designs, new companies, new waves, new edits, new products, new maneuvers. And all of this sitting in the same broad surfing ecosystem. They're all related, and the butterfly effect is in full operation. The ebbs and flows of the surfing industry can absolutely impact the trajectory of young surfers or even world champions. And we're in a particularly powerful ebbing state at the moment. The performances in the live arena of competition can influence board design and finance driving innovation. The soundtrack harmonizing with a web edit has the potential to shift audience to a new creative space. Everything connects. And today's guest is someone who has navigated that pressure, expectation, fame, talent, and the demand for improvement with the same beautiful style he shows while up and riding in the COVID Rincon. Our guest today is one of only three Californian males surfing on the championship tour in 2020. At a time when his up-and-coming generation were loosing their fins, he developed one of the most beautiful rail games in the business, drawing comparisons to Tom Curran and Dane Reynolds. He and his younger brother have cemented themselves amongst the great surfing siblings of history, the Hoes, the Paterazzes, the Ironses, the Lopezes, the Hobgoods, the Malloys, just to name a few. He's an accomplished musician who will be releasing his first studio album this year, and he has no problem putting it all on the line, whether playing spoiler in a title race or battling his heroes. Please enjoy the lineup's conversation with Santa Barbara's Connor Coffin. The good old clap, take one. That's right. How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did. I wanted to be a world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? You can shut your fucking lips. And then I'll just say, put them up once. Let's go. 
He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. I thought you were boxing. You know, I was reflecting the other day. We've had a few conversations with different people, and you and I talk a lot. But man, like, you just, you kind of have it all going on for a 26-year-old. Like, <laughs> you know, you're a great surfer, but not just a great surfer. You've had, like, great results. Like, you know, you come from a great family. You can play guitar. You're a handsome guy. You really kind of have a really, from the outside anyway, like, well-put-together life. But you Make you me turn red over here. That's right. But you have had a lot of opportunities, right? Like, growing up. For sure, yeah. Do you want to talk a little <laughs> bit about this? I mean, opportunities. I, I guess probably the, I think the biggest opportunity you can get given in life, if we're going straight into this deal, is uh, just having a good family and parents that know what's up or at least try to figure out what's up and raise their children in a nurturing way and uh, give them opportunities to do what they seem to be passionate about and what they love to do. And so in that sense, I've had tremendous opportunity. My parents are awesome and I have a great brother. I have all my grandparents still alive and aunts and uncles around. So, uh, you know, and then the extended family, obviously beyond that, a lot of close friends and a lot of older people that I've looked up to and have been big influences in my life. And um, so, yeah, I think that's probably the biggest opportunity you can get in life is just the chance to be who you want to be and the chance to do what you love to do. And yep, I've had both of those. So yeah, very grateful for that. When you were growing up and we'll get into Parker a little later, you know, what kind of things were you into? Was it, was it surfing from the start? Were there other interests? Yeah, I feel like I've always been pretty, I've had a lot of interests always. I mean, from a young age, I started surfing when I was four, pretty much some of my earliest memories, I guess, would probably being three or four. And uh, that quickly kind of took over my world. But besides that, I definitely, I was always loved my grandma and mom always gardened and we grew up outside on some property in Santa Barbara that uh, my grandparents bought and we moved up from Pasadena when I was like three so I loved just being outside like from a young age I didn't really care what I was doing but I would just put my face on the glass and say I want to be outside so I'd pretty much run around with Parker and and my parents when they weren't working and do whatever that was from you know skateboarding building bike jumps gardening playing in the creek and building dams catching tadpoles and bringing them to kindergarten show and tell and raising them into frogs like all kinds of weird shit like that but I was pretty much anything outside and then um later on like my family's always been into cooking so I you know love to cook and love to garden and I love music and love to play music and love to fish kind of kind of same thing maybe just a little bit older version of it like anything outside and you know creative and with friends or music I'm I'm pretty much in <laughs> what's the what's the gardening thing? Is it like bougainvilleas or vegetables? <laughs> no, or vegetables. Vegetables. Yeah, okay. yeah. Which ones? Sure. You, which one are you particularly fond of? Tomatoes. Okay. Yeah, pretty much tomatoes. Like my grandma was obsessed with tomatoes growing up, so we always just grew a bunch of tomatoes. And my half my family's Italian, so we we all cook a lot of Italian food. And what's the other half? Uh, gosh, German, f- French. English, some combination of that that I don't think we really know. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so surfing at four, w- tell me the story of that. Like, how did you get hooked? I don't even remember being four years old. Uh, yeah, I got, we were on a family trip to Kauai okay. with my mom's side of the family, actually, and uh, my dad and uncle. My uncle was a big surfer from a fairly young age, but my dad didn't get into it until college. We were all in Hawaii, and my dad was surfing, longboarding and with my uncle, and they got me out with my brother, who was two, in a diaper, and uh, pushed us into some little whitewash peeler reforms at Waikoko and uh, on Kauai, actually. Yeah, was, yeah, that was it. 
pretty much never looked back. I was instantly in love with it. And, you know, you, you talked a little bit about the opportunities, like living in Santa Barbara is obviously your home close to world-class waves. You also have the opportunity just north of Santa Barbara with some great waves and then Hawaii. So was that something that you were able to tap into from kind of a young age? Yeah, I guess from a young age, after that first Hawaii trip, I pretty much went home and would try to get my dad to take me surfing before kindergarten. I'd literally wake up at five in the dark and be like, let's go to Rincon. And more often than not, he was pretty pumped on that idea. So yeah, we'd go down. My mom would usually sit on the beach with Parker and my dad would push me into waist high peelers in the cove. And I was late to kindergarten most times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was kind of where it started. And then just surfing there. And then I met some, my mom would just take me down the street after school to Miramar and uh, sit on the beach and work while we did whatever we did in the ocean, you know, surf, boogie boarded. And then uh, I've met some awesome people, JP, he had a surf school called SEALs, and it was an after-school program, and they started, my parents signed me up for that, and they'd pick us up from school with, like, a group of friends, and uh, we'd go surf pretty much every day after school, and if there were no waves, we'd play games on the beach, and yeah, it was just awesome to get, you know, kind of a tight-knit group of kids who were uh, into surfing and all super fun to hang out with, and then that kind of developed into Uncle Dave Latinsky, and, you know, I did Davy Smith Surf Camp probably even way before that, and Joe Curran took me surfing one time, you know, Blake Howard, like all these guys from CI and stuff as I grew up, just that were so cool and stoked to take, I think, a couple fired up Grom surfing. So me and Parker fell right into that. And uh, that was a really good time. It's such a unique spot with a unique community as you kind of start naming a few of those guys. I went to college at UCSB and just had no idea about geography because the entire county is south facing. And then you've got the Channel Islands that block all swell from the south. And <laughs> I remember getting ready for college and I'm like, I'm going to need my shortboard and this. I'm like, I have a 610. I'll probably be riding this at like, you know, double overhead rink on once a week, like for 52 weeks of the year. I brought it up to college and like packed it in the corner. And then I'm like, what? Where, where are the waves? Yeah. Like, had no idea. Um, I probably shouldn't have gotten into college if I didn't know that. But it is a unique space, you know? Like, you can't surf every day. Yeah, no, definitely not. And I think I've struggled with that a little bit being on tour. I'm like, sometimes I go home in between events and it's flat. And I haven't touched a shortboard in 10 days and I'm going to J-Bay. So, yeah, it's a little weird. But I think growing up in Santa Barbara without that waves all the time, like when there are waves, you're so pumped and you don't ever take, take surf for granted. And uh, you also, I think, like people just happened in Japan, like, someone was like, you can surf small waves. I was like, ah, I kind of surf small waves a lot. Like <laughs> uh, there's less good days probably than, than bad days. And, you know, you kind of get, I think you kind of learn to work for it and appreciate it. And like I said, not take it for granted, which I think pays off in the long run. It's not dissimilar to how Kelly's kind of talked about growing up in Florida and becoming like a world-class surfer in all sorts of waves and even like charging, yeah. you know, like, because people are like, well, you're from Florida, there's no waves. Like, and he's kind of like, well, I had to learn to do everything yeah. because we had no waves and I was that much hungrier when there are waves. Is that? Do you think that's kind of a similar for thing sure. for you guys in Santa Barbara? For sure, yeah. It's just that hunger and when the waves are good. And then when you start traveling, you're like, oh my God, Hawaii and barrels and this and that. But I will say in Santa Barbara, like if you if you know where to go and you know the swells and where to be at the right time, like there's a big, pretty big variety of waves. Mm. I think between, you know, down to Oxnard and up to up north, you know, you get past Point Conception, there's some bigger waves and stuff. So, you know, as long as you want it, you know where to be and know the right people, you can get get really good waves and a big variety. So that's helpful. Yeah, for sure. So you started surfing at four. 
What about Parker? Parker was two. He stood up on a board at two. But <laughs> are you guys, are you guys two years apart? Yeah, yeah, we're okay. two years apart. But he didn't really get into it like I did because he was so little and he got cold in Santa Barbara, and he was a huge skateboarder, like loved skating. And we both skated a lot. Like I, we'd go to, we'd spend summer skateboarding, and then once there started to be waves, we'd we'd surf. So that was yeah, what we'd spent all waking hours caring about was skating and surfing. It, it is hard. Like, I mean, when you talk to friends that like live in Hawaii or even down in like Orange County or, or places with like warm water, like getting your kids into surfing. Now that I got kids, it's the same thing where it's yeah. like, yeah, like, you know, in Ventura, Santa Barbara, there's two or three weeks a year when it's kind of warm, yeah. you know, and it's not super intimidating. But yeah, I, I do think it's one of those things that you do have to get past an initial hurdle of like, I don't mind being cold. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. I used to not even wear a wetsuit. I don't know how I did it. I just <laughs> hated putting them on and I hated, I never hang it up. It was sandy and wet. And I was like, yeah, fuck it. I'm just going to trunk it yeah. in the wintertime. <laughs> not anymore. I actually, I had a theory for a long time that it wasn't dissimilar to like, you know, when you're playing baseball and you're warming up in the batter's box, you put the weight or the donut on the bat is like a resistance thing, you know, the like your back gets heavier. So when you take it off and you go into hit, it, you can swing it faster. I think there's like something to that with having to wear thick wetsuits. And like, I just feel like the the amount of like faster, stronger power-based surfers that come out of places that have to wear wetsuits a lot, it, it seems high to me. That's a theory. I like it. You like it? <laughs> yeah. Run with it. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so you're coming up. Like at what point for you does surfing become like, transform from like an obsession where you're like, oh, this is fun. I want to do this every day to like, oh, wow. Like I, I have like stickers on my board. I might, this might be my career. Like, well, what's that story sound like for you? Yeah, I think pretty much for me, at first I was just enamored with surfing and I got so into it. And then I guess it gets to the point where you start growing up a little bit. And you're like, well, I guess, you know, someday I need a job. And I was like, well, I don't really want a real job. Like what, what am I going to do that's better than surfing? Nothing. So I was like, well, it'd be pretty cool to be a pro surfer. So I guess I kind of saw it as just a way to beat the system and do something I love to do and get hopefully get paid to do it. I guess that became my motivation for being a pro was just to get to surf every day and not have to do anything else. <laughs> so, my, yeah. yeah, I guess that was maybe around 9 or 10. Like Parker actually started doing more contests before me. He started doing the NSSAs down south and our good friend Kokoro and and our uh, his dad Tomo would like take us surfing all the time and they started going down to do these contests and they're like, Connor, like you got to come do them. I was like, nah, like why would I do that? I just want to stay at home and surf Rincon. Like that sounds lame. Like I don't want to go surf shitty beach breaks and do contests. And then eventually I did one and, and Parker started doing them. So I guess it was probably like a little bit of that. Like, oh, my brother's like making these finals. Like maybe I should do it. Like I could probably... I want to try to beat him or something. So I started doing that. And then I guess it just kind of snowballed from there once I got in. I, I, I was so bad at it. I was so bad at surfing contests and so bad at surfing beach breaks. And I think knowing myself better now, like when I'm not good at something, it kind of like gets under my skin a little bit. I'm like, I want to figure this out. So yeah, I think that started then and uh, started competing. And I guess I won the Open Boys at Nationals when I was 12 uh, against like Klohe and stuff. And then that was kind of like, oh, well, maybe I'm pretty good at this. Maybe I should uh, keep trying to get better and it could be could go somewhere. So that was kind of the, probably the first glimmer of hope at that point. I mean, it's interesting that from like a really young age, you kind of gravitated towards this tension point that you and I have talked about a lot, like whether it's Ventura or Santa Barbara County where – there's like a sentiment of sort of like an aversion to being a pro surfer with stickers and doing <laughs> contests and stuff. And there's this 
kind of like current of people who are like, hey, I have a ton of respect for you if you can shred Rincon. Oh yeah, you know, totally. On with your black wetsuit and spotless white surfboard. Mm-hmm. Like, is that something that you picked up on really young? Is that is that where the resistance to traveling south and doing contests came from? Yeah, it probably wasn't even it wasn't even something that I knew about, but I already felt that way. <laughs> it's just I don't know what's up with that, but yeah, there was this full. I mean, I think most of the people that I grew up looking up to around Santa Barbara were more like urchin divers and, you know, construction workers and, you know, whatever. Like, they just loved to surf and surfed well at home. And that was cool enough. And that was, at first, probably just what I thought I was doing. I was just like, oh, this is sick. I just want to surf here. And I don't want to. It's the. I think once you've been to Santa Barbara, you can understand it more. Like, it's such a great place that it's really easy to get stuck there and never want to leave. Like, even now, I go back and I'm home for a week. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Just don't want to go anywhere right now. It's so nice to be home and it's such a great place. So I feel like that was probably a lot of it where, you know, you kind of get a little spoiled living there. And the fact that it's just such a great place, there's fun waves and great community. And, you know, maybe it's, I think a lot of people just find that being there and working a normal job and surfing when the waves are good is, is good enough and not, you know, not dealing with the whole travel the world and surf bad waves in a contest and everything that goes along with that. It was happy to leave that to other people (laughs) yeah and i mean not everyone's path is the same to the world stage like there's a lot of like rags to riches like i had to compete and that fed my ability to go up to this level or that level too and as you've kind of said you've had some opportunity but that's not necessarily an easy thing either because a lot of times kind of you know whether it's opportunity or affluence or comfort doesn't necessarily breed excellence like for a lot of people they're like no i'm good yeah, you know, but there has to be like, like Yaden Nichols said it a while ago. Like, no one that makes the tour is not competitive. Yeah, do you consider yourself a competitive person? Uh, yeah, I'm definitely competitive, but not in a. It's like a different sort of way. I always try to figure out. I'm like, God, I I know I'm competitive, but I, on which level? Because I see guys that are just like, I want to beat everyone, and are like so driven to just compete, and like that's never really been me. Like, I I do enjoy the competition side of surfing. Obviously, I wouldn't be doing what I am, but like. I guess I more see it as what I love to do. And when I put a jersey on and go get to surf Chopu for 30 minutes with one guy out and get the best way of my life, like that's why I do it more so than to like get a trophy. You know, I'm stoked when I win. Like I don't enjoy losing a heat. But for me, like getting to express myself on a surfboard for my living and, you know, I guess using the contests and the WSL as a platform to do that and, you know, encourage other kids to do what they love. That's kind of more like my pathway through it instead of just like racking up contest wins. I feel like they're a little, you know, I guess I have won some contests and it's always like, oh, cool. I won a contest, but I don't know. It's, there's, it's a pretty empty thing really. Once you get to it, you're like, all right, cool. Like I got a trophy and a paycheck and it's good for my ranking, but you know, there's not a whole lot of substance to it really. So I try to more draw from the substance side of things and what inspires me you know if the results come with that that's awesome like obviously it's great to win contests but kind of flip try to flip it around (laughs) would you say that winning a world title is even like a specific goal for someone like yourself i mean it's definitely it's a goal but i think it's one for me like i've it's felt pretty far-fetched just and that's probably not a good thing like it's probably I should feel more confident in the fact that I could be up there and have a shot at the world title. But I guess I've been doing this long enough now to know that it takes certain sacrifices to push yourself to achieve something like that. And I've done that to qualify for the tour. And I do that year after year to 
stay on the tour and try to be as you know at the top end of it. And I think some there's certain times in the year where I feel really on and I feel really good, and I'm like, oh yeah, I could I can be in the mix. And then there's times when I just don't have that like competitive drive to keep doing all the things. I'm like, I want to hang out with my family. I want to, you know, I want to go to the islands for a day and go fishing with my friends. And I want to have like these other relationships that take time away from things I know would probably be helping me win a world title. And so I think for me, it's like trying to find that balance of like, okay, how can I have the life I want to have outside of the surf life and the tour life, you know, and maintain all of those things that I find really important in life to feel good and feel like a good person. And to have a, a structured uh, foundation maybe outside of just showing up at a contest and doing your thing. So, you know, because I know this isn't going to go forever. I don't want to get done with the tour and be like, cool, I got money in the bank and some trophies, but I don't have any friends and no family and <laughs> a bunch of everything else has gone to shit. You know, like that's that's not why I'm doing this. So I guess it's just trying to find that balance between, you know, taking the time to do the what's going to help you do well on tour and enjoy that and because that also doesn't feel good to feel like you're not fulfilling your potential. That's a shitty feeling. So I don't know. Those are the things I'm still trying to figure out. <laughs> hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As surfing makes its impressive showcase for the second time at the Olympic Games Paris 2024, Samsung is capturing every epic moment through a new docuseries and a celebration of our culture bringing the spirit and stories of surfers, including Joanne DeFay, John John Florence, and Jack Robinson to the forefront. Want to dive deeper into our world? Visit youtube.com slash at Samsung. And like, you know, I think one thing that we kind of discover, like being on tour with so many people from different backgrounds is not everyone's program the same. No. Right. And so for some people, you know, if everyone's goal is winning the world title, for some people, it's like point A to point B. They're like, that's the goal. I think about it every day. And that's what I focus on. But, you know, you could be in a situation where you know yourself and you figured out what works through experience. And you're like, look, that might be the goal. But like for me to even surf my best, I have to have this balance and I have to figure out like how not to overstress. Yeah. And because when I do, I've already figured out I don't surf that well, right? Totally. Or don't surf my best. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think, like you said, everyone's different. And I see guys approach it differently. And I think, you know, for me, it's it's really been, this is my fourth year on tour, of having times throughout the year where something feels like it's working really well and feeling like you have that. And then sometimes you're kind of like trying to put your finger on it and find like, what happened to that? You know, where'd it go? You know, I think maintaining that good feeling for 10 months or nine months is a challenge for everyone, I'm sure. But yeah, I think that hopefully I can lock into that groove and I'd love to be there for, you know, to go for the world title for a couple of years for sure. Like, I know I'm not going to do the tour for 20 years like some people have, but you know, I want to hopefully have some good years while I'm here for sure. You talked about uh, kindergarten. I'm interested to know did you did you go through public school? Did you do homeschooling? What was your what was it like um, oh, for you and Parker? Question. We did a little bit of everything. I started out in kindergarten at uh, Montecito Union. Went through sixth grade. I I was never big on school. In fact, later in the years of school, I absolutely hated it. 
And uh, I was why, trying. Why to, do you think that was? I like I said from a young age, I just like to be outside. I hated sitting in the classroom. I didn't like wasting time, and I felt like I'd be sitting there just like, what am I? Uh, what am I doing here? And um, yeah, you know, I, I really enjoy learning. Love reading. I was actually on like the math Super Bowl team in like fifth and sixth grade. Like I was got good grades, but I just didn't like being there doing things that I didn't feel like were getting me where I wanted to go. I guess for me, I felt like surfing was where I wanted to be. So, but or just outside, you know, I was like, I want to be doing things that that I care about, not learning math problems all day long. And uh, so, yeah, after seventh grade, I went to I went to San Rodrigo Junior High, and then my mom let me homeschool for eighth grade, and then. You know, at that point, I guess I was starting to have like a little more surf stuff going on, you know, and getting busy. We're doing 24 NSSA contests a year. And um, I started homeschooling. Then I started doing, um, it was through Carp High. And then I started doing dual enrollment once I was in high school at Santa Barbara City College. And I ended up just, you got college credit for those classes. And I was like, well, I might as well just test out of high school and go to CC full time and start working towards a college degree. So I did that. How old were you when you tested out of high school? Probably 14, 15, oh, 14 wow. or 15. I was thinking it was, I had to do two years, but I wasn't eight. Maybe I was 15. Yeah. It sounds right. I think like, I just remember it based on like when you get your driver's license and that was like 16. 16. And that was sophomore year. So yeah, very like 15, 16. But I know when I had my driver's license, I was going to CC. I was already going to CC like full, not full time, but. Did you actually go classes. like to yeah. CC? I did when I was like 14 and 15, I did like a class or two a semester during high school. And I would go to campus like a couple times a week for the classes and stuff. And then, was that weird being like, a, like I loved it. Do people think you're like Doogie Hauser or what was going on? <laughs> a little bit. I had <laughs> friends that were gone, so we'd always try to take classes together. Right. But they're kind of like, who's this like kid? Everyone thought I was stoned every class because my eyes would come in all red eyed and like crusty from being at the beach. But uh, that wasn't the case. But it was funny. That was pretty funny. Yeah, and I, I really like going to CC because it was much more like you show up for two hours, learn the stuff you got to learn, then it's kind of on you to like do the work and you could do it in your time and get your shit done. Well, and that's kind of the big shift between like, you know, junior high, high school and college is you start on what you want to study, you mm -hmm. know, so you're like, oh, yeah, I'm motivated to learn this. Yeah. So did you did you get what's it like an AA from community college? Uh, I didn't even get that far. Okay. <laughs> Just did, did it for a bit though. But you I tested out of high school, which is kind of gnarly like I yeah mean, like 15, that was 16. pretty easy that california high school proficiency exam is pretty easy the ged thinks a little bit harder but you had to be 18 to do that so i have like two years of my college degree done and if i choose to go back at some point at least it's a little bit started did, did parker follow the same path yeah parker pretty much followed the same path and then at some point i don't really remember when it was but i, I stopped going to cc i started doing all online classes because i was traveling so much and then even the online stuff's kind of like paced weekly and I'd go on a boat trip for two weeks and they'd be like, bad grade. And then, you know, you can't really get bad grades because it screws up your GPA and all that shit. So I just stopped. I, I mean, you kind of came up, I think if I'm right, around that time when the industry and the surfing world was really peaking. Like yeah. a lot of money being thrown around on contracts and for the next talent and boat trips and it felt like just working at the ASP since 2005, like observing that because we're based in California and, and obviously tracking talent that's coming through the system. It felt like your guys' schedules were like pretty nuts for, for being teenagers. Dude, it was insane. Yeah. <laughs> I was going on Red Bull boat trips on the Indies 4 at 14. Like, see you later, guys. I'm going to Indo. It was really fun. I mean, like you said, I think I was coming up at kind of at the beginning of that whole like movement of, who's the next best kid who's 13 years old, you know? And Kolohe was that kid, and I was kind of right behind him, and Evan Geiselman was right in there. And 
got to go on so many awesome trips. And for a long time, I just, you know, I was more focused on being a free surfer and, you know, got to go on trips for Kai Neville's movies and, um, you know, trips with Dane Reynolds and Yaden and, you know, guys I'd looked up to since I was a little kid. And yeah, I was living the dream. <laughs> at that time, and that was, I mean, again, having um, been really close to all of it at the time, it, was there ever a moment for you where you're like, you know what, I'll be fine and kind of tap into that Santa Barbara younger mentality of like, I don't need to make the tour. Like, I, I'm good doing free surf trips. I like doing this. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I was uh, doing that. And then I started doing the QS and I just got my ass handed to me. Mm. I actually almost qualified the first year when I wasn't even really trying to qualify. And then I was like, all right, the next year, like, it's on. I'll do it. Like, I barely even tried last year. And then I just got smoked the whole year. I think I made like three heats in the primes, barely made the triple crown, just done of getting beat. And then the next year, I lost like the first two events. And I told Parker we were in Australia. I was like, dude, I'm done with this. Like, I'm, I think I'm just going to quit competing. And, um, he talked some sense into me, and I kind of took a little bit of time at home. I actually went down to Tavaru and did a lifeguard stint for like a month and a half. And I think I just got, I'd been going so hard for so long from like such a young age, and then was competing on the QS for two and a half years, and I was just kind of fried on it and maybe fell a little out of the reasons I was in love with surfing. And uh, I was totally just like, maybe I'll just go back to free surfing, you know, ride that out as long as it can, as long as I can and, you know, move on from that. And Parker's pretty much just like, dude, you're an idiot. Like you've gotten this close. Like, come on, just at least do everything you can to, to give it one more good shot. And, and yeah, and then that was the year I qualified and I've been here since. <laughs> I mean, there's a whole like geocultural, like socioeconomic, like motivational component to that too. I mean, I think even within regions, but like particularly the Southern California kids, get picked up by sponsors at a young age, get paid at a young age, get super hyped by the media at a young age. And there's so many stories of them hitting the QS and just running into this wall of, of relatively no-name talents and just getting their asses handed to them right yeah. away. It's pretty, it's insane. And it's cool. And I mean, yeah, basically we come and we're, we've been getting paid since you're a kid. Everyone's telling you, rip. And you're like, sick, this will be easy. And you go out and there's just these dudes that are 30 and they don't give a fuck who you are. They're like, dude, these kids suck. They get paid and we're going to smoke you. They just eat you for breakfast. And uh, yeah, especially back when there was no priority. I mean, dude, you're just elbowing guys that are like twice as big as you. And they're doing it to like put money on the table and feed their families. So there's some drive there that's a little different for sure. Yeah, I mean, that ruthless thing isn't like a new phenomenon either. Like you talk to bugs and you talk to the people like pots. Yeah. That like came after Bugs and he's like, man, I joined the tour when I was 15 and I was like, I'm going to get to surf with my heroes and live my dream. And he goes, they were the meanest bastards I've ever met in my life because they were just like, there's a finite amount of money here. Yeah. Like that's my money. You yeah. Know? Like, and, and he said he, they would just bang up on him in heats <laughs> and like, and just really torture. Oh no. Yeah. That's yeah. full on. Definitely. It's interesting if you look at the trajectory of the tour from like, okay, like Billabong is an event licensee. They own that Chopu event and they own that J-Bay event. And they also sponsor, you know, me, uh, Joel and Taj and Andy. And so when I was a kid, I was like, oh, it's all surfing. You know, like I'll watch their video and be like, Andy rules. And then I'll watch him surf in Japan against Kelly and be like, Andy rules. Like it's there's wasn't really a delineation. And then I think like there's eras of, you know, competition is not surfing, you know, free surfing, surfing, right? 
Um, and I think that, you know, if I remember right, like when you were coming up in the teens, that was one of those eras where it's like, hey, Kai Neville's making these films. Like Dane Reynolds is oscillating a bit from wanting to be a world title surfer, but is still like arguably the best surfer on the planet. But it's interesting. Like I think, I think it kind of is is shifted back a lot in recent years, where you're seeing guys surf their very best in heats. Sometimes, mm. what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I guess Dane kind of maybe it had been there before, but it felt like Dane kind of started the kind of like contests aren't cool movement mm. from when I was a kid. You know, and all, you know, I looked up to Dane a, a lot. He was probably like after Tom was my favorite surfer, and I got to see him surf all the time. And I was like, I just wanted to be like Dane. I was like, I want to surf like him. I want to do what he does because he's the man. And I, you know, I guess when he started kind of being like, yeah, contests suck. I was like, yeah, contests suck. You know? But you're like, kid, everyone's you're a kid. impressionable. Yeah. Like, you know, like, oh, I was I working just, on tour and I'm like, yeah, contests suck. Like, what's happening? Yeah, <laughs> so impressionable. And like, trying to do well in contests isn't cool and like all this stuff. And so I think I had to like unprogram myself out of that for a while. But it, it is interesting. Like, I feel like that started this like pretty big wedge as far as I've, since I've been in the surf world of like, the guys on tour aren't cool, and it's only cool if you're like smoking ciggies and mm-hmm. surfing, getting drunk, and being <laughs> surfing hungover. You know, like going on surf trips. And it was funny because I did both, you know, minus the ciggies. But uh, you know, I did. I got to go on trips with Kai and, and stuff, and I felt like for a while it was kind of like they they were including a lot of the contest guys in the movies because obviously like some of the best surfers in the world were were on tour, and Dane was one of them. Mm-hmm. So for a while it was cool, and then it kind of just seemed to go further away the other side of like nah like we're doing our thing you guys are doing yeah and it was like funny i pretty much just like talk shit about anyone on tour even though it's like don't even really like know that person and just because they're doing something different than you like what's the deal that's not affecting you if anything it's giving you your path because you're on the other person's on that path like what's to hate about it but it's been this weird deal and i almost feel like it's going away right now because it feels like it's falling back into unison (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. I think I think what did happen too is that, you know, again, it was like it kind of ebbed and flowed with the market. Like when yeah. the global financial crisis hit and a lot of these marketing budgets went away, I think a lot of these guys that were sort of had like anti-hero or anti-establishment, you know, images got really frustrated because they were being told by their marketing managers and their team managers, like, no, there's no budget for you yeah, to do there's this no anymore, deal. you know? And I think you kind of saw, like, a few death rattles out of that movement for a bit where they were really anti-contest guys. But, you know, for me, for as much as, like, the tours and the formats and the judging and everything takes so much shit sometimes, like, in my career experience over the last 14 years, like, it has matriculated the best talent mm. to the CT. Mm-hmm. And it, I am seeing the best surfing, and that wasn't the case when I started, you know. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think that's that's a big part of it. Whereas you said, like they started incorporating tour guys because they needed the best surfers. Yeah. And now we're kind of going the other way, where it's like, hey, we we don't want your story on the WSL side of things to end when you take the jersey off. Like, yeah, totally. Only part of who you are as a surfer is what you do in a jersey. You know, like absolutely. Yeah. And only part of who you are as a human being is surfer like you know yeah, it's like yeah. there's, there's a whole dimension to every person on tour and off tour that's important i think that's i agree with you it's moving kind of more into unison for sure yeah and i've always kind of thought that with me sometimes I'm like dude i don't know like i mean i enjoy serving contests i like trying to do my best on tour but sometimes you're just like dude i just want to go on a surf trip and go surfing and hang out with you know do something completely different but it's hard to find the time for that and you know i think for the last four years i probably like haven't fed that part of my of my surfer for 
as much as I would like to, you know, it's it's kind of just you kind of get on the. It's almost kind of a bit of a hamster wheel in a sense, you know. Especially when we didn't have the three months off, you're like, all right, all year long, you're kind of focused on keeping your job on tour, and then you kind of get done, you're like, holy shit, I'm tired, and then you're like, oh my god, it's starting again. And in between events, you're not like, I'm just gonna go to Mexico for a week and you know cruise, and you're like, oh my body's falling apart. I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna rest and get fixed up to go to the next event. So. It's definitely like a lot of the time and energy, I think, especially for, you know, at the level the tour is at now. I mean, it's it's not like you're showing up and just breezing through a couple of heats and staying on tour. It's like everyone's really good and down to the last spot. You know, the guy who gets last place on tour right now could easily have gotten fifth place on tour. It's like, you know, that all those little things add up and everyone's taking it a lot more seriously. And yeah, it's, it's wild, man. I mean, since, since watching when I was a kid to where I feel like it's at now, it I wasn't here, but it seems a lot different. <laughs> well, I mean, you mentioned Dane Reynolds and and how and he remains like incredibly influential. And I think one of the things I noticed having kind of had a career that correlated with his in terms of when he came up and or, or similar ages was he just didn't like getting pigeonholed. You know, like I think when Quickie signed him, they're like, he's the next Kelly Slater. You yeah. Know? And I'm sure that that term has been thrown out for 30 years. Um, <laughs> and he just was like, no, I'm not. That, yeah, you know, like, totally. and they're like, well, what do we do with him? Like, okay, you're, you're the anti-hero. And mm. I think he was like, well, I'm not that either. I just kind of do my thing, you know? Yeah. And, and I mean, he even said, like, he's like, I like being on tour and surfing contests because your surfing stays so sharp. Yeah. Because everyone on tour is so good, but it is exhausting. For know? sure, it is. And I think, like, you're constantly pushed to, like, you know, be at your best. And that's, that's a good feeling. Like, when you sit around, you're like, I have nothing to work towards. It doesn't feel good. So... The tour, I mean, if it doesn't give you anything else besides a reason to, you know, work towards a, a goal, whether your goal is just to surf good in your next year to win a world title, like you're always working towards something. So I think that's healthy and good. And yeah, there's times when you feel tired. And I think, you know, for me, I think that ebbs and flows a bit with my performances throughout the year. And uh, it's just trying to probably get through those times when you are tired and still showing up at an event and pulling the jersey on and compartmentalizing all that other shit and just, you know, surfing well. So yeah. That's fun though. I mean, when I think about it, I'm like, dude, what? Why would I? Every job you're gonna do, you have to deal with shit that you don't isn't ideal. You're like, it doesn't matter what you do. And yeah, the tour's got some stuff where you're like, nah, that's kind of annoying, and that's kind of annoying. But at the end of the day, it's like, dude, it's still so much fun, and I'm not gonna do anything else right now. Like, I'm gonna look back in five years and be like, holy crap, I had it so good. <laughs> do you think you surf a lot like Dane and Tom? Um. That's a hard question to no. answer. No. <laughs> I'll, I'll frame it a different way. Do you think that you, when you're developing, consciously tried to incorporate their styles into your approach? Yes, for sure. And I mean, I guess on a on a very big picture level, yeah, I, I would like to think that I serve somewhat similar to them because I grew up in the same place and I think that I appreciate some of the similar parts of surfing that they appreciate. So I guess by default, I'm probably going to surf similar to them, but like, do I think I surf as well as Tom Kern or Dane? No. But uh, I do like to, you know, both those guys I looked up to because they're powerful and they're stylish and they could put a whole wave together and draw really nice lines and stuff. And those are the parts of surfing that I enjoy. So that's what I try to do. Well, I think that was always like what the punditry claimed. And, and I'd say accurately, it was like one of your greatest strengths coming up was you were a power-based rail surfer at a time where a lot of kids from your generation were into airs and fin throws, et cetera. Not that you weren't, but I, I, I think you just kind of had that club in your bag that other people didn't. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in like 
to me, what's always brought me the most pleasure on a surfboard, if you're not getting barreled, is just going really fast and doing a really big turn. And uh, whether it's a carve or a layback or a blowtail or a whatever, you know, it's just like flying at a section and just kind of recklessly smashing it. <laughs> it just feels good. So that was kind of what I gravitated towards. And, uh, you know, and then on the other side of that is like watching one of Tom's waves at J-Bay and trying to do that at Rincon. So, and kind of the more smooth, polished rail surfing. And um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, no matter what you're doing, it's nice to feel like you have your own brand of whatever it is, you know, and I guess for me surfing, it's like I saw everyone doing the airs and the blow tails and pumping down the line and frantically doing something sick. But I was like, I'd rather put together a whole wave. And to me, surfing's kind of always been a bit more of like an expression and an art form than like a, like a trick thing. So, mm-hmm. and I just think that's the surfing that you know, it comes out of me. It's not that I like don't like airs or don't. I can do them. I'm not good at them. I was gonna say. I mean, <laughs> we see it all the time. Like you do have that. Yeah, yeah, but I guess it's just I felt like my what was unique about my surfing was kind of the opposite of that. So I kind of just tried to stick with that and find a point of difference among the you know the tours still in the surf world. And then once I got on tour, I was like, wow, it's like not that many heats really get made doing big airs. Like you can still get big scores. You know, I mean, even in the wave pool contest, like what is seventh in the leaderboard and I didn't do an air or anything cool probably the whole day yesterday. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of just my motto is just do what you do, do, you know, what you do and do it well. And I think you're going to get, you know, rewarded anywhere you are in life. So that's what I stick to. You told us a story about um, your brother Parker um, talking some sense into you to get back on the QS and qualify. Um, and now Parker's almost inverted that <laughs> role a bit, right? He's he's taking some time off to, um, to free surf. Yeah. Go through that for us for a little bit. Yeah, I mean, Parker and I's relationship is so awesome and interesting. Like, we're so different, but similar, but very different. And then similar, it's like funny, we kind of just do that all the time. And, uh, you know, I would have always thought that he'd be in my position and I'd maybe be in his position and like kind of almost full role reversal at this point in life. But uh, there's no doubting that I wouldn't have gotten where I am today if it weren't for him. No way. I don't know what I'd be doing. Probably would suck at surfing and <laughs> be living in Santa Barbara, uh, banging nails, surfing Green Con. So yeah, thanks to him for always, you know, pushing me and encouraging me and just being there, you know, as a brother to like duke it out and, and have fun and, and be supportive and competitive and stuff. I think like most of my competitiveness probably comes from growing up with him. Like any bit of competitiveness really is like, oh, Parker could do it. Well, I, I can do it. And, and uh, you know, pushing each other like that. So super fun. And yeah, now he's kind of taking some time from competing. And I don't know if he'll come back to it or not. I kind of at this point get the feeling that he won't. But uh, yeah, we'll see. He's such a good surfer. He's really good surfer and I know I'm biased but like it's hard the QS is hard and uh takes a lot more than being just a good surfer and you know really being able to buckle down and get it done and I just don't know if he's gonna choose to do that or not so well you know I guess we'll see but uh, I know when he finds the other thing in life that he's like really passionate about I know he'll be uh probably hit it out of the park so excited to see what that is and I mean there's a long tradition of I, I guess like with anyone that gets to like a very high level of excellence at anything. Like they have a good support group when they're younger to kind of push them. But having a sibling is like another level to that. And, you know, whether it was the Ho brothers or the Irons brothers or the Lopez brothers or the Hobgoods, like you guys are kind of the latest version of that, like in a lot of ways. Like, you know, have you ever thought about that? Yeah, I mean, I think we think about it sometimes. And for both of us for a long time, like we looked up to all those guys you just mentioned, especially Bruce and Andy, and we're like, 
wow, we got to get on tour together. And, you know, I kind of thought that was going to happen there for a lot of years. So, you know, and it's a, in a way, it's a little bit sad to think that might not, but, you know, that's okay too. And it'll probably turn into something else. But um, we're also, like, I take a lot of, um, I, don't, I don't really like the word pride. You know, I'm really happy with our relationship as brothers because, like, obviously seeing, you know, Andy and Bruce's relationship together was kind of sad. Mm. And, uh, you know, I would not trade what Parker and I have to, like, both be on the world tour together, you know, and not get along. It's like, it's really cool. So Yeah, and I mean, I, I, everyone's different, right? But, I mean, even, the, like, a parallel there would be, you know, Bruce was always the more, like, um, successful contest surfer when they were younger, and then that inverted. Yeah. And even though they were on tour, it was never, like, you know, sometimes you just need as close as you get just needs space right? yeah and as you said like parker is so impressive and what he's doing in surfing anyway for sure and i think you know i don't live with my parents anymore and parker still does <laughs> thank you sorry parker uh but uh no like we're just, i live five minutes away so we hang all the time but like i think it's been good for parker and good for me to have that space like it's funny as brothers you know you spend so much time together for so many years and then kind of hit that teenage you know later you know teens and you're kind of like start doing that a little bit and I think it's been really good for us to have that space and you know I know we'll be connected and obviously be cl close together forever so it's, it's it's probably been more healthy for our relationship even to have that little bit of space and we already talked about like Santa Barbara being a unique community do you get kind of mobbed by little kids coming up surfing like, <laughs> because you're I mean you're trying to think right now like you're representing a pretty big part of the coastline yeah I mean I do and I don't like I feel like Santa Barbara is kind of different like that it's sure it's not Orange County and everything's a little bit more spread out and everyone's a little bit more on the DL and you know there's not a ton of kids since I've been you know, on tour, there hasn't been really like a big crew of kids that frost on surfing there. And it's kind of just starting like for years. I mean, Parker and I surfed with Pat and, and Frank Curran and um, like a couple of our buddies. And then it was almost like where no one's surfing, no one, no kids. It was kind of sad. And then now there's this sick crop of kids. Like we just went to this thing for little Jack Zietz from Santa Barbara, a surprise thing at uh, Channel Islands Retail just to like get his friends and families and together and um, kind of congratulate him on winning two national titles and he's just been winning all these comps and there was like 20 kids there that are all super cool and these kids that live across the street from my parents the Modisets they play in this punk rock band called Sea Cliff the band and they're three brothers and like the youngest one's nine and he plays drums like a little terrorizer and then his older brother plays bass and the oldest brother Tavin plays guitar and sings and it's just so cool and they're doing like exactly what we were doing when we were kids and it's so neat to see that and like the camaraderie that this group of group of friends has and I I feel like it really takes that kind of sense of community and support between each other and that kind of healthy competitiveness you can see that they have it to like you know whether it's going to be surfing or music or skateboarding all these things they're into but they just have like a rad group of friends that are, seem really supportive of each other and I'm sure they'll all go on to do super cool things so I'm stoked to see that where we live and you know hopefully we can help them and keep encouraging them and you know that's that's what it's all about what kind of guidance do you give kids that either ask or don't ask like what's the what, what are kind of the biggest things that you would tell them that's a good question you know i think just when you're passionate about something like that i mean for them it's music and surfing it's like just keep following those things and doing what you love to do and i mean that's what that's what i did and it's just you know work hard at it enjoy it have as much fun as you can but just you know make it happen it's like i think when you have that talent from a young age and if, if you put in the 
you know, I hate to use the word work because it doesn't sound like a fun thing, but like when you enjoy something like surfing or music, it's like you enjoy picking up your guitar, you enjoy going down to the beach and surfing and putting in all those hours to your craft and what you do. So it doesn't feel like work. Like even for me still, it's like, you know, I go down to the harbor and I surf waist high. People are like, what are you doing? And we're like, I'm surfing. You know, it's like I'm practicing, but it's what I love to do. So it doesn't feel like I'm working. And uh, so I think that's a big part of it. It's just, you know, find something you're passionate about and like don't take no for an answer pretty much. And then, um, you know, I think a big thing that I've learned too is just surrounding yourself with good people. You know, it's like you can so easily get stuck in a crew that's going the opposite way. And it's like that's pretty much detrimental to the opposite of what we're just talking about. You know, it's like you can be this killer person who's got everything going and you know you get around the wrong people and and that'll suck the life out of it so you might not even be doing anything wrong but it's just not gonna feed what you're doing so um, I'd say that's a big part of it and you know getting into learning about you know mental strength and all those things and you know just learning about yourself from a young age and all that yeah I don't know <laughs> I uh, think those are the two biggest things though I think that's good advice I mean did you I mean you mentioned just the support network and like positivity negativity like have you ever kind of found yourself in a space where like man i it's no one's fault but i am in a situation where like i don't have the best people around me yeah for sure yeah (laughs) Yeah. who doesn't yeah like literally everyone does that. yeah totally and and it's hard sometimes because you know sometimes it's people that you're friends with and you've been friends with for a long time and you know sometimes it's hard to walk away from that yeah you talked about creative outlets and music and and you are a very proficient guitar player and you're not <laughs> shy about um, sharing it which is awesome and you've put out you've album uh, the frame EP EP thank you <laughs> yeah what do you get out of music and what are your plans for it um, well yeah I just I put out an EP but it was only covers so I don't know if it like fully counts but I like covers yeah it was fun it was more I think I had a, an old friend actually I surfed with his son who's this insane guitar player and music producer and the guy who ran a studio hit me up one day. He's like, hey, like, Snuffy wants you to come down. Like, I know you guys haven't seen each other in a long time, but you're all into playing guitar. Like, cruise down and jam with him for the day. And so I did that, and it was so fun. Like, I guess I started playing when I was a kid a bit, and I kind of hated it. And then, you know, I learned how to play guitar and uh, never really had lessons, but just from friends and did it when I was bored. And then I saw the Stones with my with my family when I was 18, and I was already, like, a huge Stones fan. I was like, oh, my God, like, Keith Richards is the sickest thing ever. I got to learn how to play guitar well. So that was kind of like the beginning of actually getting into it and really wanting to be good at playing guitar. So kind of just went from there and then um, have a lot of friends in Santa Barbara that play. And I guess it's kind of interesting. I guess at that time when I was maybe struggling a bit on the QS, I found like a ton of joy in playing music and playing guitar. And it felt like I was almost, it was like the beginning of surfing almost. I was like so in love with it and it was so much fun. And I kind of maybe at a time when my surfing career wasn't going how I wanted it to, it was almost like this escape from that. And, uh, you know, which is almost like, you know, surfing, you go out and you surf and you just kind of everything doesn't matter when you're out in the water and you're you're with your friends and, you know, in nature. And that was kind of almost what music became for me from competing on the QS. It was like, you know, I'd play with my friends, I'd go jam, I'd sit in my room, play guitar. It was like all that stuff that was not going well was, didn't matter. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was, I guess, what kind of got me going deep into the music. And then um, it's just so fun. <laughs> and it's also something like, you know, you're traveling the world, sometimes it's lonely and you just, it's something to do, you know? Like oh, you, yeah. you, you, you see a lot of people on tour get proficient at it. Yeah, that was, once I was, when I was doing the cues, I was like, I was just by myself so much in a hotel room, bad waves, whatever, waiting for calls and to have a guitar and be able to play and learn songs and sing songs and piss off your 
fellow competitors in the room next door. Uh, it was really fun. So I think it definitely helped keep me sane while I was doing the QS and you know, plenty of time to learn another craft while you're sitting there <laughs> gonna in be, Brazil and it's flat. There's going to be someone else being like, yeah, the QS is hard. Like Sometimes the waves are bad and sometimes you can't sleep. Like People are playing guitars in other rooms. It's just crazy. That was like, me. Yeah, For sure, that was me. But <laughs> no, I love it. I guess I don't really have any plans with music. I guess... You know, I just wanted to learn how to play, and and any time I get to play with people or friends at home and around the world, really, like I, I would love to be able to play like little gigs like on tour. But it is hard to like you know find that time and and put it together. But I've gotten to do a few things. That, you know, like last year I played in France in a little bar. It's just always so fun, and connecting with musicians around the world is like something I would love to do. Yeah, I think it's really similar to surfing in that sense. It's like uh, just the opportunity to connect with different people. Yeah through music is insane and and because there's so many parallels to surfing like I'd love to help bridge that and like any musician community that I've kind of tapped into all those guys like to surf but they kind of on the DL and like think more surfers than probably admit it like to play guitar and play music so it's really cool and whenever I'm done with the tour like I plan to definitely try to put out some of my own music and stuff and record some songs and play a bunch more for sure I mean I think that'll be surfing and music will be the two things I do for the rest of my life no matter what I'm doing well, you're, you're far from done with the tour. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. But definitely. Hopefully just getting started. That's right. Awesome, man. Um, okay. <clears throat> this is the lightning round. So uh, 10 questions. Ten answer questions. as quickly as you can. Are they like one-worders? No, you answer with whatever you want. Okay. But just quick. As quick as you can. One board set up for the rest of your life. Single fin, twin fin, thruster, quad, bonzer, or finless. Oh, no. Maybe a thruster. I don't know. <laughs> Coffee or tea? Coffee. Burrito or pizza? Burrito. Last book you read? Um, the last book I read, uh, oh, Midnight Riders. It was all about the Almond Brothers. It was so good. Best surf film ever. Searching for Tom Curran. <laughs> One wave you never have to go back to? Oh, Brazil. For sure. Sakurama. <laughs> when I'm done with tour, I ain't going back there no more. Only get to surf one wave for the rest of your life. Probably cloud break. Best person to share a lineup with? My brother. Worst person and to share my a lineup dad. with? Uh, <laughs> sorry, Italo. <laughs> sorry, brother. <laughs> he gets a lot of waves. <laughs> he is the only person I've seen catch multiple waves in a single set. It's not a personal thing. It's just the wave counts just completely diminished. Finish the sentence. I will next achieve a state of happiness by... I'm already happy. <laughs> done. By yeah. doing this podcast. Yeah. Drinking this coffee, sitting here in air conditioning. Thank you, Connor Coffin. Thanks, Dave. Ah. <laughs> so that's it. That's our conversation with Santa Barbara's Connor Coffin. I hope you enjoyed it. If you haven't checked out our other episodes yet, please do. And if you like them, please download, listen, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. As mentioned in the upfront, if you can donate to support our families and friends in Australia right now, please do. Links to donate can be found at worldsurfleague.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.